Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the monsters and races of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folkloric and mythological counterparts. Today's episode, we will be discussing the dwarf. Uh, the dwarf is definitely popular in the fantasy realm. However, in folklore, it is one of the fae creatures, which if you listen to any previous episode, we discuss them, you know how much I love them. Thankfully, minus fairies and small individual types, this is the last bulk episode we will cover on the fae realm. Uh, yeah, I mean... One of the more hardy and stubborn of the uh, D&D playable races. Uh, also one of the most popular. You know, got some good talking points today for sure. Sounds good. Uh, so as always, we will begin with the Dungeons & Dragons lore on our dwarf. Okay, so... Uh, dwarves and D&D go hand in hand. Whether a stout and pious cleric of some deity, or a heavily armed and armored fighter on a warpath, toss in a pinch of stubbornness, a distrust for elves, and an outright hatred for orcs, and you have yourself the makings of a standard stereotype uh, D&D dwarf. <laughs> so what is a dwarf exactly? Described as a medium-sized humanoid, uh, averaging four to four and a half feet in height, and though shorter than most humans, they are stocky and tend to come in at a similar weight, roughly 150 to 250 pounds. Skin and hair tones run similar to that of a human's. Uh, dwarf men value their beards and often grow them long and groom them carefully. Dwarf women are rumored to range from little to no facial hair. Uh, it is not uncommon for a dwarven maiden to have a serious set of mutton chops, or even a fine mustache, or goatee, or even, you know, be clean-shaven. So, um, now dwarves are naturally hearty, depending on their variants as well. Uh, they are also sometimes very strong, or uh, wise beyond their years. Uh, most dwarven kingdoms lie deep beneath the stony faces of mountains where the dwarves mine gems and precious metals and forge items of wonder and have so for generations. Uh, so it is because of this that dwarven miners, smiths, and craftsmen rank among the very best in all of the realms. Uh, it also gives a subtle head nod to the dwarves' effectiveness in battle, both uh, physically and strategically, uh, clearing deep, dark, cavernous holes of their natural fantasy densians in search of uh, new ore veins or gemstones, uh, then turning these locations into great halls of grandeur that are easily defensible lasting throughout the ages uh you know dwarves as far as a fantasy playable races go uh you know they're pretty badass uh, the dwarves mature at the at a rate similar to humans they are considered young until 40 or 50 years of age uh living unnaturally long lifespans usually between three and four hundred years uh um you know that is just kind of the, some of the physical descriptors of the uh dwarf in D, D. did i come anything close to your uh dwarf in uh what you've looked up uh for jrr Tolkien, yes and a lot of other instances not so much <laughs> all right well um let's see here uh moving on uh down to the next talking point here on dwarves uh clans and faith 
two things dwarven society takes even more serious than their facial hair. The chief dwarven deity is Moradin, or the Soul Forger, god of the dwarves, though certainly not the only deity worshipped. Uh, he is one of the most popular, only expecting his followers to work towards the betterment of the dwarven race, which can be, and is, interpreted many different ways within dwarf culture. Uh, so, from a staunch and pious community member to an adventurer truly inspired by a deity, many dwarves find that they fill the roles of clerics and paladins as well as they do fighters. Uh, clans are a bit more tricky and personal for a dwarf. Uh, according to tradition, a clan name is handed down by the elder or elders to each clan member. Uh, every proper dwarven name has been used and reused throughout the generations. This name is not the dwarf's own, but the clan's. Bringing wealth and favor and honor and etc. to the clan name is a huge deal in dwarven society. But also, if one misuses it or brings shame to it, it is possible that the clan you know, strips said dwarf of their clan name. Clanless dwarves are, are not viewed favorably within dwarf society, rarely being you know, caused by tragedy and, and more by turmoil or treachery. Um, and you know, dwarves have a natural affinity with stonework that will, that will often result in not only a sturdy underground fortresses, but also a lot of architecture that boasts and fo focuses a lot on faith, religion, uh, like their religion or their clan, or both. Um, religion and ancestry have a lot to do with not only the average dwarves day to day, but also their governing style and, and influence. Dwarves are often fiercely loyal to a clan and faith, to the point where often viewed as stubborn in most matters. Uh, so whether doing the will or spreading the word of some deity to maybe a, a clanless mercenary out for justice, someone seeking to right a clan wrong or return a religious or maybe clan heirloom, or simply claim wealth or glory in the name of their religion or their clan's name, uh, there are many motivating factors for dwarves in particular to set out and become adventurers. And, uh, you know, and finally, uh, I want to touch on a few tidbits I found on dwarves uh, as I delved through the additions. Uh, first off, let's touch on the uh, evil underdark dwelling sub-variant of dwarf, the Duragar, or Duragar, um, however you'd like to say that. It's my turn to butcher some words today. <laughs> um, or also known as the Grey Dwarves. Uh, typically bald, even the women, and uh, they have the ability to turn invisible or temporarily grow to giant size, possessing great increase in size and strength. Uh, typically pale, ashen skin and white or uh, gray beards, sprawling cities of uh, this evil and surprisingly capable subvariant have carved a name for themselves in the Underdark, which is nothing to be taken lightly, a feat in and of itself. So they, I wanted to give them a mention. But uh, next I'd like to talk out and toss out a few good fantasy sayings that have traversed the realms concerning dwarves. Um, the first is uh, the difference between a friend and an acquaintance is about 100 years. Uh, this is a dwarven saying and it represents uh, you know, the dwarves slowness to trust, especially to other races. Uh, and it gives a light like a head nod to the races with you know, longer longevity. Uh, the next fantasy saying isn't necessarily a dwarven one, but it is a saying about dwarves of the realms. And it goes, um, 
if I'm lying, may I cross a dwarf. And this saying is referencing the stubbornness and tenacity of dwarves. Combined with their long lifespan, they are slow to forget. Uh, what may have started as a simple you know, spite towards a dwarf may end in an all-out clan war a decade down the road. Uh, you know, and so, uh, finally, uh, a few stereotypical dwarven traits that are, are mentioned in the in the editions of D&D. Whether players uphold it or DMs commit to it or not is another story altogether. Uh, but uh, not only are dwarves slow to trust, they are not. Uh, they do not generally enjoy working with nor the company of elves, seen as flighty or sing-songy, uh, you know, uh, and a lacking of drive and gumption. Though uh, so circumstances have occasionally forced the two races to work together, these events are rare, sometimes secret, and usually represent you know dire events or circumstances. Dwarves also, on the rare occasion they become actual friends with a human tend to be friends with that human's offspring for multiple generations if possible. Uh, odd and mentioned many times in multiple <laughs> editions. Can you, you know, can you imagine that like your great grandpa's friend continues to come by, you know, a hundred years after he's dead to check in on you and try to drink beers with you and, and take you on adventures. That's kind of off. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little different, uh, but, uh, um, while talking about the various race relations they seem to have, uh, they also, alongside many races, seem to share an unnatural dislike, disgust, and overall hatred for orcs. Often comp uh, competing with these creatures for resources deep within their various mountain layers or enduring raids by them upon their homelands in an ever-enduring conflict that seems to have spanned many eras in many realms. And, you know, uh, lastly, this is a weird tidbit that I dug up about dwarves that's also mentioned in multiple editions, so it's kind of weird. And lastly, let's talk about dwarves and boats. <laughs> Apparently, as it is mentioned in uh, almost all editions, dwarves dislike boats, specifically trading and traveling along rivers or other bodies of water that require travel by boat. Uh, they are all too happy to trade with enterprising humans or halflings who are willing to traverse these perils in their stead. Uh, that, that being said, uh, about uh, you know, that's about all the light I can shed on this uh, more popular of the playable races in D and D, uh, and you know these these little tiny bearded stubborn adventurers, uh, you know, are actually quite popular in in both. Older editions and more modern editions, they make for great characters for a plethora of reasons, you know, being able to uh, uh, have faith in something or, or believe in something and, and stick to your guns, whether it's, you know, a deity or, you know, your, your clan's strength or yada yada. So uh, definitely, definitely interesting topic, kind of fun to dig around into. But uh, with that, that's all I got. Uh, the mic is yours. <laughs> Yes, uh, one thing with dwarves is one of my, I want to say favorite to play just for a one shot is the Barbarian subclass Path of the Battle Rager, which mostly came from the Swords Coast Adventurer's Guide. And according to that book, especially for Forgotten Realms, it's a dwarf only restriction, but I was able to use a goblin. It's just the idea of a character coming up and just completely spiked armor, spiked gauntlets. <laughs> and after you get your attacks, just backhanding. <laughs> I mean, 
I, I looking at the stats for it for a long term story, trying to raise it from a level three by the time you'd pick the path to twenty, it would get dull. It doesn't do much as you get into the higher levels. But I think for a one shot, it, it's just a blast to play, and that comes from well, dwarves. Well, yeah, R.A. Salvatore uh, had a quite an interesting uh, battle rager character in uh, one of his books with uh, the Legend of Drizzt, I think, or one one of the Drizzt books. And yeah, he was quite the character and a whole mess of fun. Uh, quite quite fun to kind of put that character in a few different situations. But but you're right, kind of gets old after a, after a time. All right, so. As I mentioned earlier, dwarves fall into the Feyrel. Unfortunately, that also means that a lot of stories that involve the dwarves, we, I've already mentioned, uh, either as goblins, gnomes, even elves. Um, so in terms of folklore, there's not going to be a ton there. However, they still deserve enough respect to have their own episode and be mentioned properly. So. The first concept of dwarves had them very formless. Uh, they didn't maintain a physical body. They were essentially a nature spirit, as so many have been. It is later on, especially in Norse mythology, they start to take a shape. However, they weren't short. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for them to be human-sized. In fact, there's still discussion as to whether the Dokalfar or dark elves in Norse mythology are the same as dwarves. Uh, in terms of, depending on the tale, they use dark elves, uh, especially in crafting for the uh, gods, uh, the dark elves would do it, or it would be the dwarves doing it. They were very into metallurgy, blacksmithing. And so you see that in the beginning, they are human-sized. And as we've discussed with giants and gnomes and pretty much everything else, that is a very standard setting. However, as time goes on, they start to get shorter and shorter and shorter, uh, primarily in German Germanic tales, is where they start to become the small, grouchy, crotchety old men, uh, such as the tale of Rumpelstiltskin who was described as being a short dwarf, long beard, and was cruel. That's right. Dwarves could be cruel. They could be kind. They could be everything that a fairy is. Uh, you mentioned the word Durger earlier, and there's actually tales of... Uh, the Simonside Dwarfs, also known as Brown Men, Vogels, or Durger, and that comes from an English folklore. They were described as short, they wore lambskin coat, uh, moleskin trousers, hat made of moss, and their fun came in using will-o'-wisps to lead travelers astray. So they weren't your happy-go-lucky adventurer dwarves, they were your, hey, let's see how we could kill them dwarves. Uh, in Scandinavian mythology, they are a type of fairy, which explains why they're so uh, chaotic in the fey realm. 
However, their stature ended up becoming anywhere from 18 inches to the height of a two-year-old child, which, based upon my boys, is going to be around two to three feet tall. And then, again, brave old men with long beards, sometimes humped back. One thing you notice is that a lot of times when dwarves are mentioned, it's always the males. Uh, very rarely are women dwarves ever told in a story. This is probably what led J.R.R. Tolkien when he created The Hobbit and the Middle Earth world to take dwarves and say, well, the women have beards too. In fact, to the average person or anybody who's not a dwarf, the men and women are exactly the same. Dwarves can tell each other apart fairly easily, but to the humans, the elves, and others, one is the other. And so that confusion, because they are so physically close, could explain why you only heard male dwarf stories, because we don't know any better. Uh, they do like to remain hidden and out-of-the-way places. Uh, and typically that breaks down into two types of dwarfs, the mountain dwarf and the mine dwarf. Mountain dwarfs organized themselves into kingdoms and tribes. Uh, they had armies and chiefs. They had subterranean halls that they would fill with treasure and gems. And they had that metalworking of forging where they would create magical weapons and jewelry but they also had deep wisdom and secret knowledge, uh, able to see the future, assume other forms, and make themselves invisible. And these dwarves were the ones that would be kind and generous to those who pleased them. You know, you were nice to the dwarf, he was nice to you. He would share that knowledge or treasure with you. However, they were also very vindictive. If you offended them, they would take your animals, they would poison your crops. They would abduct children. So definitely a character to be on the good side of. However, that also leads into a lot of the other fae where if you were nice, they helped you. If you were mean, they trashed your stuff, which is why people would use different terms such as little folk uh, as a way to try and not be offensive. Mind-dwelling dwarves, however, were definitely more spiteful. They could be heard moving around lower levels and could sometimes be seen by the miners who would then bribe them with food. I believe the mind dwarf came because as advanced as we have come, working in a mine is still a very dangerous job. Even more so when you're talking about the 1400s. So anything that could be attributed to a cave-in, the uh, gases that would kill you, the black lung, oh, that must be the dwarves who we pissed off by entering into the realm. This is their gold and they don't want us having it. That's why they're killing everybody. And, I mean... Up until Tolkien, that was about it for dwarves. In terms of folklore. 
some of the tails I told as goblins, uh, dwarves replace. Some of the tails I used for gnomes, use dwarves instead. Uh, I discussed gnomes in uh, the Andes Mountains in that episode. However, other sources said it was dwarves in that area. Tribes in, again, Canada, indigenous tribes in Canada and the U.S. have tales of dwarf or dwarf-like creatures. And these would also be used for all sorts of other little people tales. J.R.R. Tolkien came and he gave them their own personality. The elves were taller, the dwarves were shorter. There was no confusing them. He gave them language. He gave them that orc hatred uh, as they were, at one point, all three were considered a type of mare or elf creature, uh, which is why in Skyrim and other Elder Rings, the Orsimer or orcs uh, go right there along with all the other dark elf, wood elf, high elf types. However, he bred that hatred that would otherwise not exist. And it is definitely from him we got a lot of that fantasy feel and realm. The other movie that really solidified dwarves in people's minds was, of course, The Tale of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Originally, it was just Snow White and the Seven Little People later becoming dwarves, and that really helped cement dwarf as a small person. And again, they were minors because that is definitely the trade considered for dwarven society. So, in thinking of how to incorporate dwarves, oh, and I almost forgot to mention that People under, and I want to say it's four foot ten, full-sized adult males in regular society, under a certain height, and I do believe it's four ten, have what is considered dwarfism. Uh, it wasn't meant as a slur; it's just so to describe the condition, which I get then solidifies into people's minds that dwarfs are short. Again, reaching that. 18 inch tall to two year old toddler size. However, when I was thinking of any way you can change how you play a dwarf, much like the elf, no, I, I think they became very well developed uh, with J.R.R. Tolkien, which is what translated over into D&D. A lot of it was borrowed from there. However, having done goblins, who like to build and craft humans who we know for a fact blacksmith and craft because reality dwarves who do it and elves who do it made me think that it would be a fun idea to take your characters and players and when they go to a shop they're able to purchase four types of a sword and you could change the price depending on who they use. For example, a battle axe costs 10 gold pieces. 
okay. Well, what if you make one that's seven gold pieces, but it's goblin made? And on a natural one, they have to roll a D100 or another D20. And on a one or two, it breaks. It busts because it is cheap made goblin wear. On a human, again, that natural one can then have a 5%. Or they'd have to re-roll another natural one for it to break. So you get a slightly better quality, and it's going to hit that more 10 gold piece. Now you get into Dwarven. Natural ones don't break at all because they are more skilled at it. However, maybe a natural 20 can give them an extra D4 advantage if they roll another D20. And then Elven made. Instead of a 10 gold piece battle axe, it now costs 15 or even 20 gold pieces. But it's never going to break, and it has that higher chance of a, maybe an extra bonus to the critical. Which I know some say, oh, well, it's already a natural 20 and it doubles its dice. But you could give it an extra flavor, in my opinion. A d4 of damage is not going to do anything. Or to say, well, you rolled a natural 20, and if you do it again, I'm going to make it to where the resistance against it doesn't count. Because, hell, you doubled up <laughs> and you spent the extra money. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good. That's a good outlook on it. Uh, uh, increasing kind of like, you know, the damage threshold or, or breakability, depending on the quality of ma- maybe even maintenance of the weapon, could be something. Maybe some uh, you know, barbarian humans plundered eons ago, and it's all rusty rather than you know like the standard goblin-made materials. But yeah, I'm yeah, that's actually pretty a uh, pretty good way of coming at it. I um. And it's a. Go ahead. And it's a nice way to, uh, at a lower level, get your characters to maybe get a plus one weapon, you know? You don't want to introduce them to something too strong right away because then they're getting a plus 13 at level two. But it's like, okay, you know, I'll I'll put this out there. It's not going to be as much as a normal one would, but it's going to have that increased chance of a break. And then you just can spend your gold later on. Because... Much like other things, at some point, you just end up with a lot of gold and nothing to spend it on. So this gives you a little bit more shopping. Uh, yeah, that's true. It gives you some options. I also like how kind of uh, uh, you were talking about like uh, the ability to like see into the future or something. That would be a, kind of an interesting spin on you know maybe a clan of dwarves like leadership or govern you know king of some kind somehow can potentially seen to the future and then you know you know how all the drama that hollywood has uh, you know kind of done up with that you know like uh do things stay the same after you've seen the future maybe seeing the future is what causes the events that are become the catalysts to the future you know i don't know but it gives a, a little bit of narrative uh, uh something you could run with you know having some like stoic clan member or super pious religious uh, uh higher up kind of uh, uh stumble across something like that you know might uh give you a little food for thought to kind of uh, run with narratively exactly and a lot of the stuff that the special powers that i mentioned you know people give it to elves readily oh yeah you, there's an elf that can see the future oh there's a human that can assume other forms and no issues it's like well there's nothing stopping a dwarf from being able to do that to, except for your own lack of desire. 
Oh yeah, that that's that's definitely true. Kind of a, uh, I don't know. They're they're seen as gruff and stubborn. I guess not not so like uh, arcane, but I mean, a lot of the uh, in a lot of the Forgotten Realms books and things, some of the heroes they create, you know, some of the best uh, dwarves out there are uh, not only fighters and smithies, but uh, some of the best dwarves out there are actually you know clerics and and paladins and and battle ragers. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, they like to think, oh, they're all grumpy. But no, some are docs, some are bashful, some are sneezy, some are dopey. Exactly. Yeah. Might be a little uh, a coarse or gruff on the outside, but he's like a, a tactical architectural genius of some kind, you know, like a stone craftsman that, you know, the, the realms have never seen. <laughs> but I mean... That's pretty much what I have because, again, a lot of the things that I could mention, I've already said they've it's been beaten. I don't want to repeat the exact same stories and tales and everything else that we've already done. It's just that's the, the issue with it is, you know, they came as one thing and then 500 different types follow the exact same narrative. So do you have anything else before we wrap up? Um, not in particularly. Uh, just anybody tune it in. If you want to uh, listen to or watch uh, me and Chris do some more nerdy shit, tune into my YouTube channel. It is Tater Brain Pod, all one word. And uh, yeah, we have some fun over there. Go check it out. And if you would like to reach us, uh, you can email us at monstersandmythos, all spelled out, at gmail.com, especially if you have any questions, comments, or topics that you'd like to see done. Uh, or you can reach out to us on our socials. We do have threads and Instagram at monsters.mythos. We are on X at monsters underscore mythos. And on Facebook as monsters and, which is the ampersand, mythos. Uh, until next time, happy rolling.